Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. We're going to continue our series uh, through the book of Acts. Um, we're moving along. And uh, so this morning, the, where we were last week, we kind of we ended sort of on a, on a tension point, if you remember. Paul was getting arrested. Anybody remember that? No? How many are awake this morning? Hey, all right. Now, Paul was getting arrested. Um, so let's just go back and look at, at this. Actually, let's, uh, let's just have a word of prayer first, and then, um, and then we'll jump in. Father, we uh, just ask as we open your word this morning that, that you will speak to us. Um, may we uh, be sensitive to the things that, that you are saying, and so the things that are of you, Lord, may we um, grasp onto those things and, and carry them with us through through our weeks and months, and um, may we be shaped by them. For this in your name, amen. Okay, so Paul is getting arrested. Let's just, uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 27, we'll kind of get our context to, to set us into this story here, because we, again, we jumped off, we, we ended kind of right in the middle of it. Um, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. When they were trying to, while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So this is our context. This is where we left off. Um, Paul is, is in the temple, and these, these people see him, and they grab him, they drag him out, um, and they're, they're about to kill him. Paul, Paul is about to die. And this Roman commander hears about it, and he brings down his troops, and, and immediately they see, they see the troops coming, and they, they back off. Um, let me show you a picture here. Um, so this is the temple, uh, or the fortress, Antonia. Um, and you can see it's kind of, that's the main part of the picture. Down here in the bottom left, this is the temple. Um, so the Romans had a fortress uh, right attached to the to the corner of the temple courts. Um, and you can see it's a little bit higher than, than the temple so that they can look down in and see what's going on. Um, so this is, this is what's happening. The, the chaos and the commotion is going on and, and they're able to look in and see that this is this is happening, and so quickly they spring into action. Paul Paul is is getting dragged out. He's getting beaten, um, and the Roman the Roman soldiers come come rushing in to save their life. And this this was um, you can imagine for 
for the Jews, this was not something that they really appreciated, having um, this Roman fortress attached to the, to the temple. Um, so already there's a hot-button issue with the Romans even being there. Um, but this is, this is how this, this sort of played out. They're in this fortress. Um, they come rushing out, grab, grab Paul, um, and they, they rescue him from this mob. Uh, let's jump to verse 40. We'll see. So they're, after this happens, they, they start dragging Paul. They're, they're taking him into this, this fortress, Antonian, and this is what happens. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. So Paul is, is being dragged out and he's, he's, first he speaks, we didn't read this part, but first he speaks to the commander in Greek. And then he turns around and he's on the steps and he begins to speak to them in Aramaic. And, and instantly the people get quiet. And you can imagine, this is, this is pretty impressive in and of itself. I mean, here you have this angry mob. I mean, they were, they were seconds away from killing him. And Paul turns and stands on the steps and begins to speak to them in their language. And the place gets quiet. And they begin to listen. And he says this, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priests and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So the place gets quiet. Paul begins to speak and he begins to establish some credibility with these people. He says, I'm a Jew. Not only am I a Jew, I was, I was raised here in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, Gamaliel, who still is, is held as one of the greatest rabbis in all of Israel, said, I was, I was a student under Gamaliel. I was zealous for God and am zealous for God. To the point that I even persecuted these followers of Christ. So, so the people say, okay. And, and these people know Paul. You know, he said, he's, he's calling out people. Even the high priest can testify that this is true. He begins to establish some credibility to what, he, what he's saying. About noon, he's on his way to Damascus. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my, com- my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. 
He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Again, he establishes some credibility. Ananias is a Jew highly respected by all the brothers in Damascus. And, and I want you to notice something that's, that's interesting here. As we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, several times we see Paul give gives sermons. Several times he's, he's proclaiming the gospel. And one of the fascinating things about this um, is that it looks different every time he does it. Uh, there's no formula that Paul uses. Um, there are some standard things that he'll say here and there. That, I mean, there, there are truths that he brings out. But remember a few weeks ago where we looked at the way that he uh, brought forth the gospel in, in Athens um, to, to people who, who had no background in, in the Old Testament scriptures. Very different from what Paul says here. Uh, he knows his audience. Um, and this is, this is really crucial for us as we think about uh, the way that we share the gospel with our neighbors around us. Oftentimes we'll, we'll think, well, we just got to get the formula. We got to get, you know, these five, six verses and just hand them to people um, and, and let them do with it what they want. But notice how Paul, in, throughout Acts, shares the gospel in different ways with different people. He knows what they need to hear. Uh, and this is a challenge for us as we uh, share with those around us. What is their context? What is it that they, where are they starting from? Paul can start uh, with his credibility as a Jew and, and the trust that he has um, as a student of Gamaliel with these people. If, if Paul went into Athens and said, by the way, I was a student of Gamaliel, they would have said, well, who's that guy? We've never heard of him before. Um, so Paul knows his audience. Um, but he, he, he goes on and he, and he says this, verse 14. He said, the God of our... This is Ananias speaking. Uh, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. And saw the Lord speaking, quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Again, establishing this, this fact that he had utter hatred for this, for this Christian movement. That he was persecuting. And he says, these people know that. Of course they'll believe me when I begin to proclaim that you indeed are the Christ, that you indeed are the Messiah. They, they saw where I was. Of course they'll, they'll accept me. But, but the Lord says this. The Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and fleeing dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. So the commander doesn't know what Paul has just been saying. 
And so he's speaking to them in Aramaic, and, he's, and all of a sudden he says something, and the, the place goes crazy. Um, I'd be interested to, to have a sermon like that, right? <laughs> like, all of a sudden everybody's, like, throwing things, and, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I've had some bad sermons in my day, but uh, this, this is not a reaction I'd like to see. Um, but this is what this is what happens. So the commander doesn't know what's happening. He he doesn't understand what Paul has been saying. But something has set these people off, and so immediately they drag Paul into the barracks, um, and say, "You got you got to figure this out." But what I want us to talk about here is what is what is the flashpoint? What is it that riles these people up so much? Because they were listening. They were listening to Paul as he spoke about his, his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. They were listening intently as he spoke about um, the, the being restored, his vision, and, and this encounter with Ananias, and the way in which uh, the Lord, and the way in which that Jesus had, had spoken to him. They were listening. They were, they were ready for this. There was, there was no animosity. There was, I mean, the place is silent. They're listening. Until he says one thing. Verse 21. The Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that's it. They, they can't take that one. Here's Paul in, in the temple... Uh, the, the context where the Lord is speaking to him right now is he's, he's praying in the temple. And the Lord shows up to Paul in the temple and says, Go, I will send you not to the people here in Jerusalem, not to the Jews outside of Jerusalem. I will send you to the Gentiles. And this is not something they're ready to hear. This is not something that they can take that the Lord would send somebody with a message about the Messiah, not to his own people, not to the Jewish people, but to the pagans, but to the Gentiles, to the Romans who, who put their fortress next to our temple. I mean, the Jews at this point hated the Gentiles so much. They were the oppressors. They were the ones... That, that we had to pay our taxes to. I mean, these, these are the people that we can't stand. And that God would send Paul away from Jerusalem to Gentiles was unthinkable. This was blasphemy. And this is the reaction that they have. The reaction that they have is a reaction that, of someone who is blaspheming. So they're, I mean, the, the language is sort of... Uh, difficult here as to what exactly they're doing, but they're shouting, they're throwing off their cloaks, they're possibly waving them in the air. I mean, this is this possibly tearing their clothes, throwing, throwing rocks, throwing dirt in the air. I mean, this is not something that you do um, unless, unless you're really angry. <laughs> and, and this is how they respond to Paul's words. Go, I will send you far away. To the Gentiles. And this is the scandal 
of the gospel message. That God is, God is for us, God with us, but God is also for them. God is with them. And this is not something that the people of Israel, the, the Jewish leaders, are ready to hear. Um, and this is not something that we are often ready to hear. Yeah, God, God, God with us. But God with them? Uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul uh, writing to uh, a mostly Gentile congregation. The people that he has been sent to minister to. Ephesians 2 verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision, uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. This is the state of what the Gentiles were. They were separated from God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Through Christ's blood, even the Gentiles were being brought salvation. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this uh, one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And this, this is the scandal of the gospel. That God is for us but he's for them and so god was for israel but he was also for the gentiles those who were separated from god he came and reconciled us to him no matter who we are no matter what we've done god is reconciling humanity to himself even even those people even those people that we can't stand, even those people that we hate, God is for them. And this, um, this is interesting. The dividing wall, the thing that divided us from God, the, the barrier that kept us from God, Paul says here in Ephesians, it's destroyed. We are no longer uh, kept out by that barrier. We have received grace through Jesus Christ. But the barrier which divides us from one another, also destroyed. He came to bring peace. The things that divide us, also destroyed. Look at what Paul says in Galatians. Uh, just one, 
One book to your left there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says this again in Colossians chapter 3 um, to your right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is what the gospel message is. That in Christ, there are no longer divisions between us. That in Christ, we all have the same spirit. And all of the things which divide us in our world are destroyed in Christ. They're gone. So there is no longer Jew and Greek. There is no longer slave and free. Uh, There is no longer male or female. And then there is no longer barbarian or Scythian, which is, what is that? Uh, The barbarians were the people outside of the Roman culture. Uh, originally, it comes from a Greek word, um, which which just sounds like barbar, which is what they thought the the people outside of the Greek realm, what their language sounded like, just barbar, barbar, bar, like. And so they called them barbarians. Um, and this this was adapted to the Roman culture as well as the Romans overtook the Greeks. So the people the people that lived on the fringes of society, the people that were outside of the Roman culture, all of these people were considered to be Barbarians. And then the Scythians. The Scythians were the most barbaric of all barbarians. I mean, they were the lowest of the low. They were, they were the least cultured, the least refined, the most hated, the, the farthest out in society. These are the Scythians. And Paul says that in Christ, even those people who we hate the most, even those people who are, who are so unlike us are like us. Even those people who are so far from us, uh, they're one with us in Christ Jesus. They don't, they don't exist anymore as barbarians. They don't exist anymore as Scythians. They are in Christ with us. All of the things within our culture that divide us are gone when we are in Christ. So Paul has, we, we looked at these two lists that Paul has. And if you noticed, Galatians and Colossians, they're a little bit different. Um, so for example, Colossians adds the barbarian and Scythian. Galatians had the male and female, which leads me to believe that Paul is not giving us exhaustive lists of, of who, is, who is one in Christ and where the divisions end. So it's not just Jews and Greeks. It's not just barbarians and Scythians. It's not just male and female, circumcised, uncircumcised. It's not just these things. Uh, there's more. 
And so I propose to you um, perhaps a longer list. Uh, In Christ, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There is no natural-born citizen or immigrant. There is no wealthy or poor. There is no Republican or Democrat. There's no carnivore or vegan. There's no husky or cougar. As some of you are saying, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Uh, uh, There's no socialist or capitalist. There's no Hummer owner or hybrid owner. There's no Occupy protester or Tea Party member. There's no American, Canadian, Congolese, British, Argentinian. There's no Israeli or Palestinian. There's not even people from Portland. Uh, All of us are one in Christ Jesus. Um, And this, this is a challenging message, is it not? That the gospel is even for them, for those, wait, wait, for, for Cougars? For Steelers fans? That's for you. <laughs> um, the gospel is even for them. The gospel is even for those people in our culture that we cannot stand. The people who, who we, we hear about them in the news or we read about it, and, and we go, oh, man, can you believe it again? Yes, the gospel is for them as well. That all of the ways in which we, as human beings, try to divide ourselves. And we love to divide ourselves. We love to give ourselves labels, and we love to label the people around us. And so it's us versus them. In Christ, there is no us versus them. It's only us. That the people that Christ came to die for and the people who are are invited into the body of Christ, it does not matter what their political stance is. It does not matter um, what sort of sins they've committed in their lives. It doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. And that is if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't, have, you don't have to become a member of a certain church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to vote a certain way. You don't have to... It, it doesn't matter. In Christ, we are all one. And Paul says there is no Jew or Greek. There is no male or female, no slave or free. None of those things that we insist on hanging on to matter in Christ Jesus. The ways that we divide ourselves are destroyed. He has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And so my first uh, response to this is, is maybe you have been led to believe. Maybe you're not a Christian. And you've been led to believe that that if you become a Christian, 
There are all sorts of things that you have to do before you will be accepted. All sorts of things that, that, that Christians do, and if I want to become a Christian, I have, to, I have to fix all these things in my life in order to do that. And it's not true. It doesn't matter what sort of sins you have in your life. It doesn't matter where you are. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is for you. Christ wants to reconcile you to himself. All you have to do is put your faith in him. That's it. That's it. Uh, maybe you're a Christian and you've been led to believe that, uh, that the real Christians act like this. The real Christians have these sorts of practices and beliefs and, and if I... I, I'm sort of a second-class Christian because, because I don't vote this way or I don't act this way. It's not true. The gospel is for all of us. And that doesn't mean it doesn't matter the, the decisions that we make, it doesn't, that politics don't matter, that it doesn't matter how we vote. We should vote according to Scripture. We should, we should live our lives according to Scripture and we should make decisions that line up with what we read in Scripture. But if you read Scripture and understand it to mean that, uh, you know, I should, I should care for creation and that means I, I should drive a hybrid. And you read Scripture and say, well, you know, God has blessed me and I'm going to drive a Hummer. Um, that's Okay. The gospel is for you. If, you. if you drive a hybrid or you drive a Hummer. The gospel is for you if you choose to eat meat or you choose to abstain from meat. The gospel is for all of us. And so finally, for those of you that, that maybe have taken an attitude that, that my way is the most Christian way, uh, I'd encourage you to stop. Um, it's, it's not wrong to believe the things that we believe and to hold the convictions that we hold. Um, but it's okay for someone to disagree with us. It's okay for us to, to land in different places on different issues. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ, the thing that's a scandal and yet so beautiful, is that the gospel is for this body. And so Paul says that there are hands and there are feet and there are eyes and there are ears and there's probably an appendix in there somewhere too. Uh, but that we all have different parts to play. And the, the gospel is not a thing that makes us all become uh, the same so that we all look the same and act the same and do the same things. There's room for diversity within the body of Christ. There's room for people from all sorts of different backgrounds and understandings of scripture, and nationalities, and there's room for all of it within the body. So that, so that on a Sunday morning, there are people around the world from all sorts of different backgrounds gathering together and worshiping the same Savior. That we all have the same spirit. We all are unified in Christ Jesus. We talked about um, this verse, Ephesians chapter 6. We talked about this verse in our Sunday school class this morning too. And this, 
This is a verse that has been helping me uh, as I wrestle with this idea of what, what does it mean that, that even those people, the gospel is even for those people, but do you, do you realize what they do? Do you realize the decisions that they make? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Human beings are not our enemies. None of them. Flesh and blood, people created in the image of God, even the people that we disagree with, created in the image of God, even those people that, that if we're honest with ourselves, we would say we hate them, created in the image of God. They are not our enemies. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and powers. It's against, it's against the evil one. It's against Satan. And he would love nothing more for us to believe that our enemies are actually the people. He would love nothing more for us to fight and hate other people. To work against other people. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The struggle is not against flesh and blood. The people who we call our enemies, Christ came uh, to die for them as well. Christ loves them as well. The gospel is for them as well. And so even, we said, we talked about this morning, even the most hated of dictators, destroying and persecuting thousands of people, is one decision away from being a brother in Christ. And the gospel is for him as much as it's for you and I. And this is a challenge. This is hard to live this way. It's hard, it's hard to accept this. It's hard for this to, to become true for us, for us to see the people around us not as enemies, but as people loved by God. But this, this is the challenge. This is the scandal of the gospel. That God is for us and God with us. But he's for and with them as well. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we ask for wisdom um, and courage and uh, strength to, to live in a way that sees people not as our enemies, but as people loved by you. May we live in such a way uh, that there are no divisions among us. May we embrace the unity of the one spirit that we all have, uh, having all been reconciled to you.
May we share this message of reconciliation uh, everywhere we go. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, As we leave today, I want to leave you with um, a benediction from the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God.